So there's a story of a young man who was hired at a local supermarket and he was put in the produce department and the lady customer came up to him with a head of lettuce and asked him if he would chop it in half. She only wanted half. And he said, ma'am, God made them whole, so we sell them whole. And she responded, but I've come here for years. Won't you please check with the manager? So he walks back to the manager and says, get a load of this. There's this needy nitwit who wants us to sell her half a head of lettuce. And then he notices she actually followed him back. She's right behind him. And so he adds real quickly, and this sweet woman here wants to buy the other half. At the end of his shift, the manager calls him in and says, great job thinking on your feet. Where did you learn that? The young man says, I was born in Minneapolis, known for its beautiful hockey teams and its really ugly ladies. The manager looks at him, his eyes narrow, and he says, my wife is from Minneapolis. What hockey team did she play for? Friends, all joking aside, James is about to warn us yet again of our most powerful and dangerous muscle, the tongue. Our tongues can get us in a lot of trouble. So let's, before we even go to this text, let's pray for God's help to change that. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you right now and we want to be have our ears awakened that we might be able to speak with instructed tongues, able to sustain a weary soul with a word. We ask and pray uh, that you'll also help the preacher. Uh, May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hear the word of our God, James chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 10 through 17, but we're just going to focus on verses 10 through 12. You'll find it also in your bulletin. Now hear the word of our God from James. Verse 10, chapter 4. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade to make a profit. And yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. We return to James 4, which is actually really the heart of this letter. The bad news, we have a pride problem that results in us becoming God's enemies. 
James said, For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Back in chapter 4, verse 7. But then, you hear there was good news. God gives grace to the humble. The gospel for James is the jealous grace of Jesus, which is greater than all our sins. Grace that is freely given to all who are humble. Humility is the way, which is why I included actually verse 10, which we looked at last time. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Think about that. That's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? James says the way up is to go down. The way up is to go down. A way to think about God's grace is it's kind of like water, which is really plentiful, right? It covers 70% of our earth. It's very plentiful, but it's plentiful only for those who are positioned properly. On the mountaintops, are you going to find the water up there? No, like water, grace only flows downhill. You must go low, be humble, in order to get that grace which then exalts you and lifts you up. We start with humility because that's actually the thread that pulls through the series of three topics that James is going to introduce. On the surface, they seem disconnected. So today we're going to look at slander, which comes from a judgmental heart. Next time, verses 13 to 17, which I read, we're going to look at presumption. And chapter 5 is going to look at the sin of covetousness. And what connects all three of these is they're all sins against humility. They're all sins against humility. Now, I read verses 13 to 17 because I found it interesting that James asks a couple of what we would call existential questions. Today's text ends with, who are you? Who, 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 who? No, sorry. Who are you? James asks that. Who are you? Next time, James will ask, we'll see, what is your life? What is your life? These are questions that we can't really ignore. We have to answer these. But both of these questions get at is self-awareness. Self-awareness. Humble and honest self-awareness that will actually keep us from the sins of slander and presumption. Now, many of us have no problem getting that first question, who are you? Because if you're like me, as I was as a child, you probably heard that question regularly. You had a parent or adult say, Joel, who do you think you are? Often when I was trying to boss around my younger siblings and tell them what to do. Actually, one of the kids was doing that earlier. I was trying to be the parent, which I was not. And that's actually James' point here when we come to slander. Every time you slander someone, you are talking down or you're putting them down, which means you actually view yourself in a superior position to them. You're attempting to place yourself on that mountaintop, right, far away from grace, above the grace line. That's a sin against humility. And I like how Alec Motyer writes, If we are really low before God, we have no altitude left from which to talk down to anyone. Now, it should not surprise us that the first warning James gives us after this call to humility is a negative command about the use of our tongues. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Boy, James doesn't quit, does he? He devotes just like a huge portion of this letter to how we speak. He first called us to be quick to listen, 
slow to speak in chapter 1. Then he added that the use, we're supposed to have a bridled tr- tongue. If you want to show true religion to the world, a bridled tongue. Chapter 2, he talked about those who profess faith but don't actually possess it. Chapter 3, he warned us that not many should stand where I am right now. Not many of us should teach. Those who speak many words don't just stumble themselves, but they can lead everyone else into stumbling also. This makes me recall Pilgrim's Progress. I mentioned that earlier, where Christian finds himself with a man named Talkative who lives on Gabby Road. And faithful and Christian realize that unless God touches this big talker's heart, he's in really big trouble. They understand, James, who adds that this little muscle in verse chapter 3 is a world, a whole cosmos of unrighteousness. It's set on fire by hell, and it's able to set a whole forest ablaze. And James' point, one of our first points here, is we cannot have that take place in the church. We cannot be setting forest fires in the church. Our first point is slander is anti-church. Slander is anti-church. Did you notice how many times in that first verse you see the word brother? It could also be translated Adolfoi. It's brothers or sisters. James is using familial language, family language, because slander is a sin against the church. We're not to speak evil to one, against one another. The word actually means to defame or to slander. The point here for James, it's not content doesn't mean you're not speaking truth. It's intent. It's not content. It's your intent. It's words that are spoken to ruin someone's reputation, to put them down. And if anyone should get how speaking words to bring down is wrong, it's the Christian. We are only saints because Jesus paid for all our sins at the cross. And right now, you know what Jesus is doing? He's speaking good words about each and every one of us. Jesus is up there speaking good words about you and I. That's our blessed hope. That's what we rejoice in. How dare we speak bad of people that Jesus speaks well of right now? How dare we? And yet here in James' day, likely 20 years after Jesus just went up to heaven, people at the First Presbyterian Church of Jerusalem, (laughs) they're slandering each other. That's why he's writing this. And if it happened there, it can happen here. In fact, It probably has happened here, right? It's happened at all the churches. This is a problem. Let me do say that one thing that delights me about our wonderful little church here is we do a pretty good job of talking good about one another. I've been in conversations, overheard conversations, where I hear just a lot of positive talk, praise of what God's doing in people's lives, even in the midst of a lot of mess. And when we're concerned about someone, we're praying for them, and we're thanking God for all the good we see in our brothers and sisters. Something I've discovered is that we're, to call, we're called to actually have eyes looking to see where God is at work in a person's life and to give God praise for that instead of pointing out all the things that we can see wrong in a person because we can do that real easy, right? The inner critic rises up and we can see a lot there, but no, we're called to actually have eyes for where God is at work and to give him thanks for that. I'll continue just, I want us to continue. It's important to make Heart City a place where people can come here and be healed and not hurt. We have a lot of hurting people out there. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who won't come to church. It's the number one reason I run into, because they were hurt by people in the church. 
Number one reason people don't come to church is they've been hurt by people. And I believe most of the time that's the main reason. And some of you know what I'm talking about here, don't we? <laughs> We're family, though. We're made co-equal with Christ, our big brother, who adopted us. We're now children of the Father. But this also extends to the world. Notice that James ends a passage with, who are you to judge your neighbor? Your neighbor. I couldn't help but wonder about James' switch from brother to neighbor here because James once spoke evil words against his half-brother Jesus. Remember who's writing this letter. And Jesus was the one who gave the law about neighbor love. When Jesus was asked, hey, Jesus, what's the great commandment? Remember by the religious leaders? Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 to 39, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our second point is that slander is anti-law. Slander is anti-law. Notice James says that when we speak evil against one another, we're speaking evil against the law. And we're judging the law. Now, including judging the law there is important to see what the text is not saying. It's not saying that all judging is bad. We know the favorite Bible verse of most unbelievers out there, right? What is it? Yeah. Don't you be judging me, Joel. Judge not lest you be judged. They know that verse because they want to live how they want. They don't know anything else about the Sermon on the Mount. I guarantee they haven't read the ending. (laughs) Right? They want to live how they want apart from God, so don't be judging me. Ironically, Jesus says in that same sermon, we are to make judgments about others at times. Parents better be able to make judgments about their children. No, Freddie, you cannot treat your brother that way. Jenny, you cannot wear that to school. Right? In church, we are, have to judge each other's actions. Not to condemn, but to restore. We don't slander to put people down. We are called to, hey, there's something wrong here. I need to speak the truth in love. Joel, when you said that to so-and-so, you were too harsh. And I need to hear your correction. And if I don't, well, you better go get another member and come to me and talk with me about this. Matthew 18 actually gives us the steps to help stop sin in the church. If we can't judge everyone in the church, sin will come and run amok. We have to be able to judge. Someone brings in a heresy. Oh, Joel, Jesus is just an angel, right? Mm, That's actually a common heresy in our day. We need to judge that as false teaching because believing that will send a sinner's soul to hell. We need to be judges. We need to have judges so long as we live in a fallen world with sinners. In fact, we have a whole court system right across the street with judges who make sure people obey the law. A person commits evil crimes, they stand up in court. Can they say, you have no right to judge me, judge? (laughs) Yeah. No, there is a place for judgment in our world. So James' point is we're not to judge the law of neighbor love. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying we don't judge, period. We're not to judge the law of neighbor love that Jesus taught by slandering one another. You see, slander is anti-law by using words to hurt to say that the law's command to love is wrong. See James' point? You're saying the law to love neighbor is wrong every time you speak wrong of a neighbor, the law that Jesus gave. You're saying, nope, that's the opposite, actually, of humility, right? Because we're exalting ourselves above the law. We're judging it. 
See what James is saying? We know better than the law. I can talk bad about this person. Actually, it's worse than that. Because James says, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Being a judge of a law of the law is not a good place to be because you're not a doer of the law. And apart from Jesus, no one has ever kept God's law. So James' point is anyone who knows God's law well enough to judge another by them also knows God's law well enough to then be judged by them. Is that a scary thought? Think about it. When you have violated a law you enforce, you now have no excuse. If we want to receive mercy, we would do well to show mercy. Because as James told us back in chapter 2, verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. James says, if you've been given mercy before the true judge, you have enrolled yourself in God the Judge's grace program for your remaining time on earth. He's the judge and he has a grace program that you now live by. And that program requires cutting out the nonsense, stop the slander, jettison the judgments, and remember the one who will judge all evil on that last day. Let's remember he had all the facts on each and every one of us. All the evil things we've ever thought, all the things we've said, all the things we did. He had all the facts. And what did he do? He ruled in our favor. Because in love, he sent his own son to stand in our place and take your judgments. And those five bleeding wounds of his. They, what do they do? They speak a good word, a good word about you. So why don't you and I do the same for others in need of grace? And this gets us to our third point, the pride point. Slander is actually anti-God. Slander is anti-God. Because James says you're putting yourself in God's place. You're saying that you and I actually have all the evidence to evaluate and then to condemn a person. There's actually a good story where we see this happen in 1 Samuel 17 where a young David, he heads off after taking care of the sheep. His dad gives him cheese and bread to go to his brothers. And he heads out to the Israelite army where his brothers need these supplies. And when he arrives, he sees this giant walk out. His name is Goliath, the giant Philistine. And he's hurling curses at the Israelite army. And the soldiers run away in fear. He's too big. And David asked some of the men in verse 26, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And David's older brother Eliab overhears this. And he comes out and says to David, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Can you believe this? Especially coming out of the mouth of a brother. Eliab claims to have all knowledge about David, including what's going on in David's heart. He calls him conceited, calls him wicked, and then what does he do? He, he makes a ruling. David's only here to watch the action. And we read on, right? What happens? Eliab finds out he knows nothing. Because it's Eliab who actually watches David go out to battle, and he slays this Philistine. We see Eliab do the very thing James warns us about in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you? Who are you 
to judge your neighbor. Who are you, Eliab, to judge David? Eliab is guilty of both slandering and wrongly judging David. Notice how James brings these two ideas together. When you speak words against the person, you at the same time set yourself up on the judgment seat. James sets the slander really in the courtroom because it reveals why we go all wrong. Because what happens in court? Ever been in court? They bring forth all kinds of witnesses, right? They bring all kinds of evidence. They ask lots and lots of questions. And when do they finally make a ruling? Only after all the facts are in. When they got all the facts. Now, I know our system's imperfect, but that's the goal, right? And then there's a real weightiness to the judge who then has to make a ruling. That's why everybody rises when the honorable judge walks in. So consider how dishonorable it is when we do like Eliab and pass judgment on someone else. Because none of us are God when it comes to speaking slander and to judging others. Because the fact of the matter is none of us have all the facts. One of my morning prayers every day is people are far too complicated. People are far too complicated. The only one who has all the facts is also the one who made all the loss. It is the one who sees all people. It is the one who knows all our hearts. That's why James says, who are you to judge your neighbor? There is only one judge, and that is God. The reality is every time we slander, we forget that our rightful place is actually on the dock. We're guilty like everyone else. I have a helpful quote by Derek Prime. He says, the knowledge of our failings makes us more and more hesitant about expressing any form of criticism of others. The man who knows himself learns that an increasing silence before others' faults. The man who knows himself learns an increasing silence before others' faults. Now, I know we're going to walk out of here, and it's true. You're going to meet some people this week that are more wicked than you. You're going to run into some. But that does you no good when you're measured against God's holy standard, against God's holy law, a law that requires perfect obedience. How many of you have had perfect obedience for even a single minute of your life? (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm not putting my hand up, okay? So who are we to judge our neighbor when we leave here? Sadly, we do live in an age where We're very tempted because we live in an age where people are passing judgments all the time. We live in a land with millions of judges. And they're ruling against all sorts of folks on social media, even as I preach this sermon. Uh, They sit there and they feel protected behind the safety of their screen. They pass judgments on folks they hardly know. And they feel immune to all the consequences of their words. If James were writing this in the 21st century... He would say, let everyone be quick to listen, take in all the facts, and be slow to post. James would call us to also rein in our digital tongues. And I think James feels this really acutely because James knows that he spoke wrongly about his own brother Jesus. James spoke wrongly about his own brother Jesus. He said he was out of his mind. Do you think James wrote this with some conviction? Jesus is the only one able to save and to destroy. 
We cannot judge others. Why? Because we're also not the Savior. We're not the Savior. We did not lay down our lives to save one person's soul. Nor will we sit on the Judgment Day throne and be able to destroy. Fact is, only Jesus knows the final chapter of every story out there of every person we'll meet in this coming week. Only Jesus knows that final chapter. And we can help them to one of two places by the words we use. Jesus could have actually judged James, right? For James' slander of him. But Jesus knew that James was going to turn and to believe. Jesus knows how every person's story is going to turn out in the end. He's the only one who has all the facts. He's the only one that knows the hearts. And while there is only one Jesus, and I'll close with this, let's remember that Jesus' body remains on earth. I'll note that James is addressing the church, Christ's body, here. And one of the devil's main strategies is to get bad folks made good by grace alone. Get bad folks made good by grace alone. Talking bad about brothers and sisters, because what does that do? It divides, it tears asunder, it sows discord. It derails then the church's mission to spread the good news. So let's seek to heed James' words this week. Let's take our proper place in the courtroom and do it out of reverence for the judge who showed mercy to us. And let us seek to show mercy to others as we keep a tight rein on our tongues. And we can do that as we remember James' question, Who are you? And if you have believed in Jesus, you're a spirit-filled, blood-bought child of the King. I'm borrowing that quote from Eileen. Who are you? Go out and remember who you are and who you belong to that you have been set free to go out and to speak words of life into a world of death, using your tongue for good and not for evil. And friends, it all takes place. It all begins with taking up the posture, the proper posture of humility. Love others as yourself is the law of Christ's church, and against such there is no law. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for declaring a verdict for each and every one of us that we're not guilty. And not only that, well, just being, let's meditate on that for a second. Thank you, Father, that Jesus stood in our place. He advocated, but he also took the penalty. And what an amazing judge you are, because after the ruling, you then take us home and you make us your children. What judge would adopt such children as us? We give you thanks because it's by grace alone that we belong to you. And I ask that, oh, help us to reign in our tongues. I pray that you'll convict our hearts that those moment judgmental thoughts begin. And I pray that, in fact, instead of using our tongues for evil, we might use our tongues for good. We pray that we might be able to speak a word in season to a weary soul in the same way Jesus has spoken a word in season to each and every one of us, which is why we're here. And we thank you for that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.